Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. And today's podcast is unique. We've never done something like this. I'm super excited about it. Uh, Lots of times on our social media, everybody, I'm like reaching out directly to you guys. I'll send out videos or messages. I try to get to everybody. Um, I don't try. I do. Sometimes it just takes me a while. Um, If you've ever gotten lost in my messages and for some reason I didn't, just reach out because that can happen. I'm only human. Uh, But today we had a great idea between um, Twitter that I'm active on, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube, um, and some of these other ones. We get quite a bit of questions. And while, you know, I'm answering them directly, I thought a lot of these questions would help out everybody on the podcast. This podcast, we're going to dedicate to all your guys' questions that you got coming in, some that we would never, we probably wouldn't ever, uh, we wouldn't ever like have an entire podcast on the subject. So I think this is a great opportunity to to break a lot of these little questions down that are Mm -hmm. important, but maybe not big enough for a whole entire podcast. With that said, everybody, go on to Twitter. You can follow me there, um, AJ Osborne, I think four, um, and then Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, you can follow me. Um, Go on there. This is how we communicate with everybody. Um, And ask us questions. We'll do more of these. Mm -hmm. The more questions we get in, the more content it allows us to create. So we love it. Um, Be a little specific. I don't want a question like, hey, I've got some land. Can I build a storage (laughs) facility on it? Well, I don't know. That depends on a lot of things. But, um, uh, you know, questions that we can answer and help you understand the industry is great. With that said, guys, before we start, one thing that uh, you can do for us, because we are working hard to put all this content out for you guys, is give us a five star and a good review on the podcast right now. If you could do that, seriously, that would be of huge help to us. Um, We are compensated for our content in likes and shares. Um, That's really what keeps this thing going. And our goal, like we've mentioned before, is to build as much free content we can and have search engines, things like that, pay us so users don't have to. That's our model. We're trying to create as much free, open-ended content with no catches, no hook for everybody. Um, So... If you could do that and also go to YouTube, give us a good review, like, and subscribe. Those are the things that help us keep doing that. With that said, Connor, should we jump into the questions? Dude, let's do it. I'm excited about this. This is going to be really cool. 
It is. So we've got a few list of questions. Connor has his list of questions. He's been pulling off things. I've been pulling off mine. So Connor, why don't you get, get started here? Dude, let's kick it off on the YouTube side. We've got Simon over on YouTube and his question was, who do you contract out maintenance, overlocking, drive-bys? I'm, ex I'm assuming he's talking about like drive-throughs, like lock checks and things like that. We don't generally do drive-bys at our facilities. <laughs> Try not to. Those are uh, not, air, not areas uh, we like yeah. to invest in. But. Right. <laughs> Uh, anyways, so uh, I think I think this question's in regards to like if you're just starting out and you buy a facility that's you know across the country or a few hours away or whatever, and you can't just be there doing all these things yourself. How did you, AJ, like when you guys started? How did you contract out with people? I know you've talked about some of those more creative things that you've done in the past, and I think this would be a good one to kind of share how you guys did that just starting out. Yeah, so there's a few things that we need to do when we're looking at um, offsite management and out of state particularly. One of the things is identify all the things that need to be done on site, right? We have maintenance work. We have um, repairs Mm -hmm. Right. That may need to happen in just normal day to day maintenance work um, that can be like cutting grass, gravel, all that stuff. But the, you also have the locks, um, cleaning out the units, mm -hmm. getting things ready for auctions. Um, and so the key is to find somebody that you can contract out with. And then you can keep them on track via processes and systems. So usually what I would say is you need to have a, uh, you hire out your con your contracted person that is local to that area. Then you create a system, whether that is through, um, um, like, well, we use a couple. Monday you can use, or you can use Basecamp. Mm -hmm. And what you do is you create processes for them. So every week they have things that they need to do. Right. And they go through, you can have weekly updates and they need to go in there, give you the updates, take pictures of the facilities, tell which locks are cleaned up. And that should then mesh with what they're doing with your online system. And then what happens is that there's big projects that they need to take place. Right. Then you can figure out who to call and contract out with locally, or they can, but you're still controlling it. Um, and that's generally, I mean, we we do this with a manager on site. You can do this with an off-site part-time manager. And I think of people like real estate agents are great ones, right? Um, you have property management companies that may be in property management for like houses, right? That are Airbnbs or multifamily where they may not understand it, but you can give them specific requirements to do and then farm out and contract out with repairs and maintenance people that are local, but just make sure you're documenting that whole entire process. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I love just that, that idea of just being creative and solving that issue where you're not just going out and you're like, well, well, how am I going to do this on my own? There's no self-storage management company in that area because it, it might be this small, you know, third-tier market or something that there's not those kinds of resources there. So I think that's really awesome to point out that you guys, you can just use those creative solutions and really just figure it out, you know, whether it's like AJ's talking about, realtors or, I mean, when it's cleaning out units, I mean, you, cleaning companies, towing companies, all that other kind of stuff, junk haul companies, whatever. There's a lot of solutions out there that are just kind of, I guess, that would be considered outside the box uh, that are really, really good solutions to check out. Awesome question. Uh, do you want me to just keep going through the YouTube list here? Let's do it. Next question is from uh, Bath Properties. 
maybe some kind of property management company. I'm not sure. Interesting name though, Bath Properties. It says, who do you use for your developments as far as a, like a development company? Well, we just had a massive podcast. We did. With Forge Building Company, uh, one of the most premier storage building companies. Literally built thousands of facilities. Yeah, in the world, in the United States. Phenomenal group of people. We have used them on a number of our projects, currently using them on a project, uh, well, numerous projects, yeah. honestly, right now, with yeah. everything going on. So uh, Forge Building Company is a phenomenal resource for everything storage. Uh, their, their value engineering is unparalleled. There's a lot of things that they bring to the table knowledge-wise. They know and understand storage. They know and understand how they can not over-engineer a storage facility, they know exactly what needs to be done, but they're not going to sit there and pump tens of thousands or millions of extra dollars into the build of something. They're not going to overbuild it. They're not going to underbuild it. They're going to build it exactly how it should be built. Uh, and they've gained this knowledge over decades of experience. And uh, you guys should go and listen to that podcast if you haven't. If you're interested in development, which I know a lot of people are, uh, especially right now where you might have some land or something like that and acquiring a facility is just not what you're looking to do. You're just wanting to go ahead and build. And uh, yeah, go, go listen to that episode. It's with uh, Hamish and Scotty from Forge Building. It was just a couple episodes ago from yeah, this episode here. And uh, a phenomenal episode. It's anything and everything storage development from the ground up. They talk about uh, the cost of building. They talk about the process of building, what that looks like for you as an owner, and uh, kind of help you navigate that development process because there is a lot to it and you got to do it right. So a phenomenal episode. Go check that out. And uh, you can go and I think it's forgebuildingcompany.com is their website. I would have to double check, but their link was in the, to their website was in the uh, show notes of that episode we had with Forge, with Hamish and Scotty, and uh, they're phenomenal. And Scotty has a ton of storage history. Uh, he actually worked for our sponsor, Janice International, for a long, long time, I think 10 or 15 years, something like that. And... Um, just he started working with Forge recently, and uh, he he does a lot of really really good work over there with Forge on the development side now, and they're excited to have him. We're excited he's over there as well, and uh, he's doing a lot of really good work. So um, yeah, go check out that episode. Reach out to Forge and get in touch with them with any development questions that you might have, and they'll get you set on the right path. All right. Next question, YouTube, is from Alex. This one says, is there a way to efficiently find the square footage of a market? So I'm thinking the square footage of storage per capita on the market. Yeah. It's generally a, a good rule of thumb to know. <laughs> yes. It's a good thing to uh, figure out. Uh, for whatever reason, they haven't figured that out in, in Nampa, close to Boise. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, maybe someday <laughs> they'll get that. It's just away. more. Yeah. Just just whatever, you know. Oh. Uh, it's not a no factor, like Mr. Jocko would say. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, yeah, the square footage of storage on the market is really important important to know and understand. And this is kind of an interesting thing where generally you want to look at that seven to eight, you know, not going over that seven to eight square feet per capita on the market. But like we've recently seen in some of these areas, storage is such, it's so micro, 
And yeah. you can have these areas that have a ton of storage, but then find these little pockets, you know, these three mile radiuses that have really good economics for storage. Yeah. And uh, you can actually go in, throw a facility in, convert a building, whatever it is, and do really well because the demand is high. Um, the other thing to think about too, like we've talked about recently, we had, oh, it was last year, we had a deal that we ended up passing on. And this, what was the square footage on, on that one that it was super low? It was like seven, something like that. It was around the normal uh, square footage per capita. And uh, come to find out, because we thought, we saw that and we're like, holy moly, you know, this is a pretty developed region. There's a lot going on and square footage is super low and this has got to be a home run. And we actually started looking at the demand and secret shopping and going around at other, other facilities. And those facilities actually had vacancy. Mm-hmm. Even though the square footage was relatively good in the market, uh, or actually really good compared to a lot of markets nowadays. And uh, so that's something that you really need to analyze, even though square footage on the market might be low, might be high, you really have to dive into that and understand what that means. Because even though, even if it's high, well, is demand still high? Yeah. Well, it's, perfect. It's like, utilization it. versus total numbers. Yeah. So important. Yeah. When we look at... Um, the actual market data, really, we go through a few sources. You can, um, we use Radius Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, we also will go look at the filings for um, the zoned areas, storage facility. We're trying to understand future demand as well, or future supply, excuse me, as well. So when we're looking at Radius, we'll also look at the um, the Google uh, maps. The reason why this is important is because sometimes that information isn't pulled, especially when you're in small markets. Uh, we have some small markets uh, that have a few facilities in them, but show nothing on Radius and other platforms. So you mm-hmm. have to literally get on the maps and look. Luckily, storage facilities are easy to find. They have long um, buildings. They're either that or chicken coops. So when you're looking at that, you can actually analyze right there on Google Maps. You can take the pin, outline it, and it can give you an estimated square footage. And then you're just looking at that divided by the total um, population per capita to figure out how many square feet per capita you have in that market. So there is tools that can help you, but they really don't catch all of them. You you need to do some digging. You need to do a little homework in those markets uh, to make sure that, first of all, you have the accurate amount of self-storage on that market, but then also any facilities that are under development and how much square footage is coming onto the market uh, by the time you either buy or build because those things change and right now are changing fast. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, Radius Plus, great tool to use. And uh, like we've talked about, cities, counties, phenomenal resources. Just get in touch with them, talk to them, coordinate and uh, figure out, like AJ's talking about, if there's more supply, plan, you know, coming on the market or not. Yeah, that's that's a great indicator. Uh, the other that kind of ties into one of the other questions that we got. And these are just comments pulled from social media and other platforms. So I don't have any names from who these are from. But um, somebody asked, how do you find the demographic data, data you need to evaluate a market? Same thing, cities, assessors, offices, yeah. um, 
the Census Bureau, all of those are really great information or sources of information for demographic data. And again, Radius Plus has some limited data on some of those yeah. things, yeah, which they do. is great. But you but, really need like what you're talking about. See, I always call and confirm. 100%. Because what happens is the what you're seeing online is always um, in the past tense, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I like to look and also with demographics, I'm looking at the demographics it's kind of like square footage and utilization. Like, okay, here's the data we have. Maybe they're growing. Maybe incomes are either rising or falling. But then I want to call the city and I want to talk to the people there to understand what that information means. What are the drivers behind those demographic changes? Um, Why are people either moving in? Why are people moving out? Why are incomes going up? Why are housing prices going up? Um, I want to understand why the demographics are the way they are and mm-hmm. what are the trends behind them, um, which is really important to not just match up on your studies online, but actually talking to the locals and actually really understanding the stability of that um, economics and the demographics in that region. Such a good point, for sure. Verifying that and then also just getting that you know eyes on the ground kind of situation going on. It's a, it's a really good one. Uh, the only other question that I have on my end, AJ, is somebody had asked... When you are financing, are you financing everything, the purchase of the facility and the capital expenditures and, and what your, the expenses you're going to use to turn the facility around, are you putting all of that into financing or are you just getting bare bones financing in the beginning and then paying for that stuff later on? Yeah, How so is that structured? That's a great, really good question. This, is, this can be done in two ways. So we have an accrual process that can be done for maintenance, which we have reserves that we are accruing from the cash flow after we buy it. Um, or you have the, once you purchase it, you also add in the capital expenditures to the loan. We do it both ways. So we're always accruing for capital expenditures. But lots of times, one of the reasons we're buying the facility is because it needs to be turned around immediately. So we will put in a certain amount of capital that needs to be deployed into that asset immediately. That also helps us improve the the value proposition of the property so we can charge higher rents, different things like that, make it stand out in the market. Um, And then our tenants are paying for that debt. So that is a really good way to go about it when you're first doing it. And as long as you can work with your bank so they can understand how that will result in an increase in your gross revenue, um, they're usually fine unless it's too exorbitant, uh, exorbitant. So looking at building that into the loan, we absolutely do. There are some things that we're like, these are smaller things, so there's no reason to build that into the loan. So Mm -hmm. it it comes into size. Like if we need to repaint or maybe buy some office furniture or things like that, we probably won't build that into the loan. We'll use that out of cash flow instead of incurring debt for those things. But when you're talking gates, buildings, when you're talking um, even, uh, you know, even security, that stuff can be super expensive. And Mm -hmm. also that stuff is assets that is being built into the facility. So we'll we'll package a lot of that in with the loan. Smaller stuff though, um, we either look at the maintenance schedule. So this could result, some things need to happen, but they don't need to happen right away. 
So if they don't need to happen right away, if it's in year two or three, well, then we'll just accrue that in cash and then pay it out then or do it in a refinance situation. Gotcha. Phenomenal answer, man. That's a really good question. I know financing is, is kind of a big deal for a lot of people and figuring that whole situation out. And uh, speaking of finance, you just want to talk about Live Oak real quick? Yeah, this is a perfect time yeah. to talk about Live Oak. Live Oak, you guys, is our sponsor of our podcast. Um, Live Oak, I've sent a ton of people this way. I'm, I'm not even kidding. I got a message last week that said, hey, they wanted to reach out. I'm working with Live Oak. They're like, they're awesome. We're doing a deal right now together. Um, I've sent people that aren't even in storage to Live uh, to Live Oak. They understand self-storage specifically, but also if you're looking for SBA loans, they're just incredible, but they value the asset and your business plan, not just you. Mm-hmm. And they're comfortable in markets all across the United States. They're, for first time, Buyers, I, I mean, I just you you, sh- you you shouldn't look without looking at Live Oak. If you're a first time buyer, if you're looking at multiple banks, I mean, Live Oak is just a no brainer. It needs to be in that batch. Um, For sure. And then you can also build a great rapport and history with them, and you can expand with Live Oak. So as you grow your portfolio and everything, they can grow with you, mm-hmm. um, which is for me. You know, and if you're in real estate, banking relations are really important. Um, and that's it, it's really important to think that if I'm using a lender on this first deal, they're going to understand me. They're going to get my history. They're going to stand. They're going to allow me to do two more deals after that. Yeah. So Live Oak can not only get you that first deal done, even if you're worried about how to get it done, they can help you and then to grow from there. Yeah, no, I couldn't say anything more about it. It's just awesome company. And speaking of SBAs, they have some really good SBA incentives going on right now, uh, right now through September. So it's uh, February 2021 till September 2021. They've got uh, a lot of really good incentives. So we're talking like fees waived, all kinds of stuff, um, make covering payments, all kinds of stuff. So uh, go check it out. Uh, go check out Terry Campbell's episode that we did just a little bit ago. Uh, they talk about all kinds of really awesome stuff in there, SBA-wise, and just anything, everything, finance and Live Oak Bank. So just wanted to throw that in there. As we were talking about finance, I was like, dude, perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's do it. Perfect uh, time. Yeah, that's all the questions that I've got, dude. All right, I got three that I want to hit on real quick. Um, the first two are from Instagram. Uh, the other ones, I replied back to the video and everything, and now I'm like, oh, man, I should have um, I should have done that on this podcast, but that's okay. <laughs> so one of the ones that I want to get, and I'm going to just slaughter your name, so I'm sorry, man. Um Brijesh, Brijesh Patel, um, he wanted to know what to look for in a feasibility study. This is a fantastic question. One of the hard parts people have is, first of all, I need to get a feasibility study, but what should I be looking Like, what does that mean? And what are the points? Now, first things first is you want to get a feasibility study from somebody that's good, right? You don't want to get a feasibility from somebody that doesn't have extensive knowledge in the industry, hasn't been doing it for a long time. I look for owners, operators. I look for people that have done in multi-states. You don't want somebody that's only done it in Texas, for example, and you're doing it in New York. Um, You want somebody that really understands the industry and been around for a long time. Feasibility studies will generally run five to $15,000 um, are they important? Yes. Um, developing or acquiring a new one, they'll teach you a lot. And really what I'm looking for, 
um, in a feasibility study is when I'm building out my models, I want to take a feasibility study to find things that I'm not seeing, um, to understand better the marketplace, the competitors, really to nail in supply and demand and look out for any gotchas. Um, they'll come back with recommendations. Either we think it's a good one, it's a bad one, right? But I want to have discussions with them. I want to test their um, their analysis of the market. And if I'm doing a development, I want it to be very intense. I want them to be on the ground. I want them to be confirming or denying my assumptions I'm building into my models, particularly once again, on rates, demand, um, supply, what can be charged, unit selection's a big one. Um, and unit selection doesn't mean just in development, but also I'm looking for unit, unit pricing for a facility. Because if I'm building into my models what I'm going to charge for eight different types of units, I want a feasibility study to come in and tell me where each one of these units are in the market and if they're occupied, if they're not, and that will allow me to adjust in my model what I think I can charge for them, right? We talk about uh, probabilities, right? So we have our probability funnel. And the probability funnel is all about what are the odds, what are the, what's the probability that I can actually hit the numbers that I'm putting into our models. And that's what I'm looking for a feasibility study to do. Um, so there's a lot of good ones out there. Make sure they have extensive knowledge and uh, make sure that they are coming back and have very in-depth of competitors, supply, demand, revenue um, on those ends. So good question. Next question is from Goodwill Plumbing. Uh, yeah, Goodwill Plumbing. Goodwill so, Plumbing. I like that's it. That's awesome. Um, marketing. Uh, strategy when you're opening a facility? This is a fantastic question. Marketing strategy should be done um, before you open, obviously. And what, what I mean when you're saying before you open, signage, all that's good. You need, though, I would be collecting reservations before your doors are open. So you have a huge list online of people to call. So when you open day one, your manager should be calling all these people that have already reserved units and they should get a discount by coming in early. Um, you can do this through Google Ads, ad spend, um, where you're basically cre creating an online funnel to your reservations. Now, doing it too far in advance usually does nothing. We just got to be say what it is. If you're doing it a year in advance, well, nobody's waiting a year to run a unit. Mm -hmm. That's just not how it works. Right. So I set up everything to be in place and I get marketing that far out is more let people know it's coming. So signage on the road, you know, the building itself, right? the office, and then, you know, all those types of things. Maybe you put something out in the newspaper and, you know, do some local things that you can do. Just, just getting known, right? Getting known that you're going to be there. And then I hit hard the month before prior reservations. Opening day, we do discounts. And this is really when your marketing kicks in. You need to be adjusting constantly as you have fill-ups, as you're seeing response. Um, done, but that opening, I would usually triple my ad spend 
than I will on year two. So I'm really front loading um, that I'm not giving significant discounts. So you have a few models where people will go just like literally half the market just to fill up. If I feel that I'm opening a facility and I have to do half the rate to fill up, and then I'm going to get those people up to street rate in um, rate increases, I shouldn't be building there. Yeah, it's going to be bad. Um, and so the, I look at the marketing is to accumulate pent-up demand. And this really depends on seasonality. I have to mention that too, because um, for most of the United States, self-storage is seasonal. And so you got to hit those right. Um, from Twitter, Samuel S., kiosks at sites. Do I have kiosks at sites? Um, your cell phone is my kiosk. Um, kiosks. The answer is no. I believe kiosks died years ago. People just haven't figured it out yet. Um, <laughs> because why do I need a kiosk at a site when my web portal is dynamic and can take reservations and let you into the facility? The kiosk is just one more step. It's it's one more step and more complicated. Mm -hmm. I had kiosks. We put kiosks in. Um, how they compare to our online rentals is, is no comparison. Like we'd rent a few out off the kiosks. Well, we would do more in a day at some of our facilities on our online rental systems than we would do in a month at a kiosk. Mm -hmm. So your cell phone is my kiosk. I put all that money towards online rentals and marketing that way. Makes sense, dude. I love that because I think a lot of people think that the kiosk route is just this amazing, incredible thing. And, you know, it was at some point, but like you're saying, dude, now everybody has a kiosk in their hand and that technology is there. It exists right now today and give it to people. Yep. You know, that's the most efficient way because, I mean, kiosk's cool, but you still have to get out of your car, go over there, do that. Yep. Like There's key exchange access yeah. points, things, which it, it doesn't sound like it's that complicated, but... It's And it's not. It's really not. But right. we're in a world where that's not how our consumers are consuming. Yep. Now, it's true. Some people will use it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying anything like that. Of course, people are going to use the kiosks. The point, though, is the numbers. 80% of all your rentals, if you have a kiosk or an online rental, it will be 80 to 90% will be the online rental. So mm -hmm. for me, it's a. I just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to push effort and try to change customers right. and then run it off two different systems. <laughs> that doesn't work. No. It's just, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work. So. Never changing anyone. <laughs> That's right. Now, with that said, what? I should, um, um, I should say this, the online rental system, this is perfect in, in way, the, how we do a lot of that, because I'm sure people just popped up questions, we're using our online rental system with Noki. Okay. Janice is our sponsor here, and they're a sponsor because I asked them, just like Live Oak Bank, I asked them because we use them. And they have their, Noki is Janice's um, keyless entry system, which we use, which ties into our online rental system so people can rent online and then the key is on their phone so they can access gates. 
They can access their units, the facilities. We can track them and everything through their cell phone. So when I say the kiosk is the phone, I literally mean your access, your key, your payment, everything is done on your phone. It's a true automated system. We just very much believe that this is the way of the future. And we've put this in all our facilities that we have built, expanded, and we're putting them in all of our facilities moving forward. We won't build a facility without it. It creates, uh, I mean, we'll, I'll be sitting at home on Sunday and I'll look at the numbers on, my, on our facilities and our facilities are closed on Sunday, but the ones that have no key will have six rentals that day. And people are renting and using our facility and there's nobody even there. Mm -hmm. um, so cool. yeah, it's way cool. So that's Janus, no keys product. Check them out. We have them in our show notes. You can go to the website too as well. Um, but this was a good list of questions, everybody. It's really cool. We want to do some more of this. I like this ability for us to, to, your questions are coming to us, which we're sure other people have these questions. We can do a rapid fire around addressing all these questions that you guys are thinking. So keep coming. Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, go on there, guys, find us, ask away. We, you know, even though I'm answering these questions, I also answered you guys on there. So I, I, we're still going to do it. But some of these questions we just think are very um, relevant to our entire audience. For sure. Uh, so with that said, everybody, thanks. We appreciate it. We're headed out and we're headed out to go look at two facilities now so if you're on online if you're on the instagram thing you, like this is going to come out two weeks after this but if you're following us online you're going to see this stuff in real time so a lot of these things we're talking about online in real time as we're looking at facilities so the next two days on instagram twitter um and we're also creating a youtube out of it we're going to be going through uh due diligence we're going to be going through acquisitions maintenance um, cost expenditures, right, in real time. And so that's a great way to see and understand this content outside the podcast. For sure. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm glad you threw that in there because, uh, yeah, if you guys can just jump on there and interact with stuff as it's happening, it's super fun. And uh, we love hearing from you guys. So uh, awesome. Get at us. We'll uh, keep in touch with you guys. We'll keep going through these questions as you guys send them through. And uh, we'll just start to we'll do some more episodes like this in the future. Thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Awesome. Thanks, guys.